Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Paisley Fields. We talked about Graham Parsons' final album, Grievous Angel. We talk about how, even as well known as Parsons' music is, why he seems to still be something people have to dig a little for when compared to his peers. We also talk about queer culture and identity in country music, which is still rooted in a fairly heteronormative tradition. Paisley Fields released Limp Wrist recently on Don Giovanni Records. Check that out now on streaming or head over to his band camp and pick up vinyl from this phenomenal new album. Also, just a note, we had this conversation a few weeks ago. We talked about Patrick Haggerty of Lavender Country, who recently passed away. If you're unfamiliar with Lavender Country, I'd highly recommend checking out his music. He paved the way for so many artists and queer artists and is owed like, so much respect. He then also released a new album this year, also on Don Giovanni, uh, so that would be amazing to check that out. And honestly, I can't even begin to express how much of an impact his work has made in country music. I, I just simply be here all day. So I just want to sincerely give my condolences to his family, friends, and bandmates, which includes Paisley. And excuse me for the transition, but don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we listen to records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a comment, and reviews definitely help. Okay, let's chat with Paisley. Hey Paisley, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing all right. I played a wedding last night for a couple of friends and had a bit of a late night, but I'm I'm making it. <laughs> yeah, I played a show last night as well, and I, at some yeah. point I was like, we played first, and I was like, ooh, I'm going to leave early. I'm going to be bad. <laughs> and uh, then someone blocked me in, so I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't. oh no, really? <laughs> yeah. And, so, and then also I did the, well, I was like, since I'm here, I'll you know, settle up and all that stuff. And they were like, oh, actually, the headlining band took it all. They'll settle with you. So you kind of, like, wait longer yeah, than you have to. And yeah. it's like, Ugh. So I totally feel that, you know, kind of like the getting into bed at, like, 3.30 thing. Yeah, exactly. And we were just all, like, I was hanging out with the band afterwards and, you know, just get to talking and all of a sudden it's 2 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are talking about Graham Parsons' final record, Grievous Angel that came out in 1974 and it's the second solo album that came out on Reprise and it came out as the posthumous release is how they would put it. So what I'll ask is when was the first time you listened to Graham Parsons or this record? Man, the first time I listened to Graham Parsons, I I mean, I'd, I'm pretty sure I heard his stuff when I was a kid, you know, um, but really like falling in love with this record was maybe like 10 years ago. And it really, like, was a big inspiration. I just think it's one of those that every song is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been about 10 years ago is when I really, like, got big into to Graham. 
Yeah. And what do you feel like you were listening to? Uh, well, I guess first you said that you probably heard it like growing up. So were your like parents into things like Graham Parsons? Yeah, they were like big fans of the seventies music and, um, I grew up in Iowa, so I was always around country music and and uh, that that genre. So it was it was always around, you know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, anytime I well, I guess I've actually been to Iowa once. I was gonna say anytime I've been to Iowa, but uh, it's like growing up in the South for me. It's like when I went to Iowa, I was like, this feels more like <laughs> this feels more country or Southern in quotes than like my experience growing up in like a beach town like it's it's kind of strange i guess you would uh, you obviously wouldn't call it southern because midwestern but it's so interesting to me like all country is like a southern thing and i know that's not true but in my head it's like what i was raised on so i feel like it's like i own it in that way but i feel like it's like midwesterners probably have almost like as big of a claim to that type of music than you know as southern people do yeah i I agree. I mean, where I grew up was very country, and a lot of times when I tell people I play country music, they say, oh, are you from Texas? Or It's yeah. like, you don't have to be from Texas to play country music or to like it or have a connection to it. Um, yeah, the where I grew up was very rural, and the main genre was country music. It was on all the radio stations. Yeah. Go to, yeah, I feel like growing up, my parents just liked like uh, like Barbara Mandrell or like, and mm-hmm. then later on into just kind of like whatever was on the radio. So like John Michael Montgomery, and then you know like Travis Tritt and things like that. Um, so I feel like Graham Parsons. I would I feel like I would have never heard my parents listening to that. Like that feels like a deeper cut for someone, and I don't know why that is maybe it's the smaller body of work or yeah i think it's well that and he just you know didn't have the mainstream success as like your willie nelson's and your Mm -hmm. you know like johnny cash and all that but my dad had a pretty big record collection i'm not sure if he had that in there but we we had music on in the house yeah all the time yeah it's it's interesting too like kind of like getting to a certain age uh i know it's not graham parsons but kind of like kind of realizing like what role Linda Ronstadt played in like this type of music and you know even slightly on this record it's uh it's like I feel like Linda Ronstadt like growing up like just was it was almost like not disposable would be a very rude way to put it but it was like just kind of like when you hear like certain names like I don't know like Don McLean or something and you're just like okay you just kind of like put it there you know like and so I feel like like Graham Parsons kind of has that and like it's like as a kid I never heard like Towns Van Zant or anything mm-hmm. like you know my dad listened to like the most obscure thing which isn't obscure at all would be like Arlo Guthrie or Jim Croce you know like that's yeah. so I don't know it's it's kind of interesting to be in a house with like I guess it's slightly the, deeper cuts yeah this I mean the song Love Hurts I definitely mm-hmm. heard like that that's one that I when I first like came into really loving this record i was like oh i know this song i've heard this a million times um yeah that was kind of the one yeah i and actually i don't think i realized until just kind of writing down some notes like thinking about who originally did it you know like that's like a thing 
like I'm not even sure how to pronounce her name, but uh, uh, Boudley Bryant, I think is how you pronounce okay. his name. But I remember, I guess it's like, oh, growing up, I guess I heard the Nazareth version a lot, you know, like mm-hmm. I, it, it also becomes kind of just a thing where like, you almost don't even know who's doing the song. It's just like a <laughs> yeah. songbook kind the of song. The song is thing. famous, yeah. Yeah, and that's like such an interesting concept that I kind of f- forgotten as I got, I guess, got more into like punk. You know, mm-hmm. it's like everything was like, did you really write it? You know? Yeah. And when you kind of start really digging into this, like, you know, like this, and there's so many like country artists that like either don't write their own music or they're purposely kind of like, showcasing something that they mm-hmm. love and so it's a different relationship with it than like i'm used to with like i don't know indie rock it's like oh built to spill writes all their songs you know right so it's like, yeah yeah it's not like a honor in that same way like it's it's a proud tradition to kind of like showcase these things and it's it's interesting because even like there's more on this record that are covers like you know like mm-hmm. hearts on fire and then like I can't dance, you know, from like Tom T. Hall. Yeah. It's it, it, the normalization of like putting covers on country records is something I'm still like kind of trying to wrap my head around, you know? Yeah. It's also, I mean, something I notice in, in concerts too, the difference between, you know, a country concert, it's really common for these, you know, arena level artists to play multiple covers in their set Mm -hmm. whereas if you're you know more indie like a bigger indie act they're generally not doing that many covers maybe one yeah like i'm even thinking of uh so with that uncle tupelo song uh just like thinking of it being like i didn't realize it was a doug song cover like he Mm -hmm. is he like sings backups on the song but i was just like oh they let this guy sing on it like i didn't (laughs) know who doug Som was as you know like a younger person kind of getting into like yeah. alt country and whatnot but that kind of tradition like even on like doug psalm records like there's so many that are covers that it just kind of becomes that person's song when they sing it yeah which is what you know grievous angel feels like like when i hear you know love hurts it's just becomes a grand parsons song yeah exactly yeah and that i think that's when it's done well in those capacities it just mm-hmm. kind of becomes like it's not a tom t hall song it's just graham parsons you know? right and the like the harmonies between him and emmy lou is just like yeah phenomenal you know like nothing else yeah that's like a thing where it's like in the past couple of years i've it's like i don't think i i don't know if i'd ever be able to make a record like this but it's like that idea that it's like it's his record but he doesn't feel like it needs to 100% be him to mm-hmm. be him, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. And I was reading that originally, you know, before he died, the cover was supposed to be him, a picture of him and Emmy Lou on the front. Mm-hmm. And his, like, girlfriend or wife didn't want that. And so there's, <laughs> and maybe it was the people at the label or something, but somehow after he died they settled on just the picture of him yeah cover instead of the one with him and Emilio Harris yeah I know I mean when I think about it personally um I feel like when I listen to like Chris Christopherson I might not grab for like the duo records you know and Mm -hmm. I I don't know why that is I mean I love those songs but it's 
I wonder if it's sort of a marketing thing thing like maybe duo records don't perform as well as like yeah maybe you know but but in some cases I'm like well if you have your friend and your friend is like decently successful then it seems like a you know slam dunk like yeah, yeah you exactly. get them to perform on it uh, so another thing that was kind of interesting like I didn't realize that three members of Elvis's band like played on that and just kind of like you know James Burton Glenn Hardin and Ron Tut like playing on the record just kind of like keeping that tradition because in my head it's like Elvis and Graham Parsons aren't like in the same orbit you know yeah but he like Graham Parsons worshipped Elvis and was like yeah yeah I was reading the book Hickory Wind I think it's the title of it um there's a story about how he got just like hammered and was in Vegas and saw Elvis's band and convinced them to come into the studio record with him yeah and it's like like do you know anything about like Graham's past like his childhood or yeah he grew up pretty wealthy that's what i thought i feel like sometimes when i'm thinking of his story i kind of get it mixed with towns van zamp because i feel Mm -hmm. like they have somewhat similar like kind of histories with like coming from money you know Mm -hmm. uh but that could probably be the history of a lot of like musicians yeah i think so (laughs) you know so i'm like wait was that graham or was that towns van zamp but yeah um and just like thinking of that kind of like there's that Towns Van Zant documentary where he's like in the uh, like living in a trailer essentially, mm-hmm. and it and it's so interesting to kind of like hear that he comes from like so much money. So it's like that kind of put on, but it's like yeah, is authentic authenticity versus like you know I I don't know. It's it's such a strange thing because it's like when I'm listening to Graham Parsons, it feels like this is 100 percent who this person is. Yeah, but it's like not (laughs) yeah it's almost like poverty cosplay or something to try to get like cred yeah yeah it's it's there's also i know kind of like jumping i'm jumping way ahead but i'm thinking of like like i've always thought it's interesting that i feel like there was a point in like evan dando's career uh for lemonheads that he was like like he wanted juliana hatfield to kind of like be his emmy lou mm-hmm. you know and i don't know yeah. if that's like a conscious thing it might have been you know but that's like the parallels between that thing and i feel like there's similarities between evan dando and graham parsons in a sense too that it's like they're both comfortable with kind of like taking other people's songs and just kind of like making it your own and then essentially people were just like oh, you wrote that song, but if you look at a lot of, like, Evan Dando's songs, it's, like, written by other people, but, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of, like, a performer versus, like, a true writer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I guess even, like, kind of going back to, like, I guess comparing, like, a Chris Christopherson with a Johnny Cash, you know? Right, yeah. Even, like, I don't know, this is jumping ahead as well, but, like, Garth Brooks said he has never, like, I don't think he has a song that he just he has written. It's always... A co-write or somebody else's song and like uh, a lot of times with Dolly Parton too I mean she obviously has written most of her songs but like Here You Come Again I didn't realize hadn't been written by her which is you know one of her biggest hits 
Yeah, but in that same way, it's like I feel like no one questions Dolly. I mean, right. Really about anything. Like but, you just kind of assume that she did yeah. it all because she often does. Yeah, and Garth Brooks in the same way. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, the guy sold out uh, the park in New York. So, you know, Central yeah. Park, it's like, yeah. you know, no one questions him, you know, in that the capacity. Right. You know? And he sells it so well that it is yeah. his song, you know. Yeah, I mean, Elvis, too, in that regard, like, mm-hmm. it's like, I I think I was reading, like, Elvis, uh, it's like, if Elvis has a credit, essentially someone, they kind of money changed hands, so it's like, it would be, like, did he actually write any songs ever? Right, so yeah. So the ones that are credited were just like, Colonel Parker just kind of was like, yep. give us that song, we will pay you $500 or yeah, $10 exactly. or whatever, you know, um, is such an interesting thing because you're just like, oh, that's an Elvis song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times it wasn't and it was like recorded the year before by like somebody else. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then that kind of concept, I guess like going from this record being that the, you know about the kind of, well, the movie was Grand Theft Parsons. Um I guess you know about that. Story. I know about it, but I haven't seen it. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the story, yeah. The, his manager taking his body to the desert. I didn't realize that was his manager. I think it was his manager, but he was also like his, you know, best friend, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, because it was... So the story is that um, Graham Parsons' stepdad, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, a, the the rumor is that essentially if if Graham was buried in Louisiana, then his stepdad would be able to receive, receive the inheritance because it would show that Graham lived in Louisiana. I think was like yeah, the reasoning like behind yeah. like his body needed, but Graham didn't want that. He wanted to have been buried in Joshua. Joshua tree. Tree, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. And then, so the story is, and I wonder, it's like, I, when I talk about it, I feel like it's like, oh, yeah, everyone knows the story. <laughs> but, but I'm like... It's pretty nuts. I mean, yeah. it, it's very insane. Yeah. I guess, like, if you want to explain it some, uh, you know, maybe people don't know it. I mean, because I also wonder, it's like, how... Whoop, I'm going to put a pen in this idea. How many people even today... Because in my head, Graham Parsons is like a big looming thing. Right, yeah. But is is he a figure or an artist that you feel like people are really reaching for, you know, as a whole? But I guess to go back to the, the yeah. story of, uh, the you know, Cap, Cap Rock. Yeah, the story, so from what I remember reading the story, reading about the story is that he died and they were loading his body onto this airplane to go back to Louisiana and his manager and another friend drank like a ton of whiskey took a bunch of pills and they were like we gotta honor Graham honor Graham's wishes and take him out to Joshua Tree so they somehow managed to kidnap his body before it got onto this plane drove him out to Joshua Tree and like set him on fire (laughs) in the middle of the desert yeah what's also wild is like they didn't get in that much trouble for it. Like, they were, <laughs> <laughs> like I would have thought that that would be like, so they got like charged, uh, it was like $750 fine. 
And I don't think they really received like any substantial like jail time. <laughs> yeah, I don't you think know? so. Because I, I guess I don't it's... know like what happened. I know like I don't know what happened after that. Like, how did they get caught? Like, what? I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know because it's like I don't know like how much if a if someone is <laughs> if someone is already dead. Right. I know. It's like if I go down that road, that's going to be, that's, that could be like, you could put that in so many things. But I'm like, what sort of crimes is that? Because you're not harming anyone. Right. So it's like legally, you know, so it's like they got, <laughs> I th- so did they, the fine wasn't even for like anything about a body, I don't think. I think it was like starting a fire in Joshua Tree. Wasn't that the... <laughs> The Probably. Could be wrong. That sounds right. But it's like $750, and I'm like, I guess I thought that would have been like, I don't know. Like, I'm almost like, is that like life in prison for burning a body or something? Like, I don't know. It seems like something kind of with some Judeo-Christian thing that mm-hmm. feels like it's like a big no-no. Right, like, yeah. It's not a normal thing to do, of course. No. But it's like, I would have thought that that would have been like, you know, this body will not get into heaven or something. You right, know? yeah. Like, but it's like, and then what do you do as, you know, because the story kind of paints uh, Graham Parsons' stepdad as, like, the villain in a way. Right, you know? yeah. And maybe he was. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, but, like, when you then receive, because his body did go to Louisiana. Right, And yeah. he's buried there. So I'm like, imagine receiving the end result of that process. <laughs> you're just like oh there's my charred stepson yeah (laughs) like what do you you know it's just like all right thank you all right but but it's and i guess if he if he truly is the villain type then if the end result is the body still gets to be interred in uh in louisiana then i guess you don't really care about the end result yeah Yeah. i guess i don't know (laughs) i don't know i'm presuming so much stuff in this thing maybe i just need to watch that movie but uh, <laughs> always also isn't that with johnny knoxville i think i mean it's like i've watched way more jackass than i like need to in my life but even with that with all the other jackass movies or johnny knoxville type vehicles for some reason i was like i don't want it never spoke to me as something i wanted to watch because it just looks it almost looks like when like 30 rock made like fake movie posters or something like it's yeah. like you'll see people just make and i'm like this can't really be a real movie but i know that yeah it is, yeah know? and uh yeah so i don't know maybe i'll watch it <laughs> yeah i think i will <laughs> but yeah so just that kind of like because that's like a big part of i feel like getting into grand parsons like learning that like that adds the crazy so much. stories yeah <laughs> Yeah, to the mystique of it. Uh, mm-hmm. But I guess even going back to the point of the idea if, like, people... Because I, I feel like I wouldn't want to call Graham Parsons a underrated artist, but I also would say he is. Like, I don't yeah. know. How do you feel about that? I I don't know if underrated is the right word, but maybe just not as commonly known as he should be. Because it still seems like he's a bit of an more underground than than most, like than any like mainstream country artist. And I know most musicians are familiar with his work, but I don't know if the average listener 
country music is going to know who Graham Parsons is or know most of these songs. Yeah. And it's so strange because of like what he's touching up against is like such, you know, big names and like the, you know, the associations with Rolling Stones and the association, well, mm-hmm. being in the birds and flying breed, well, flying breed of brothers probably is like in the same capacity yeah. as that underrated sense. But, you know, it's like, it feels so in line with like things that people revere, but it gets put in a, in a different kind of subset. Like I kind of get why like Doug Som is something that people have to like kind of reach for, you know, it's mm-hmm. like those kind of people like, like him are any of those, like, I don't know if you know of like the Armadillo world headquarters scene, uh, from like Austin, Texas. There was like a, from like 1970 to 1980, a lot of like country rock kind of like blossom there mm-hmm. in Austin, Texas. And there's like so many names. You would just like look at the posters and be like, oh, it's, you know, that guy and that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just like strong Texas artist and kind of like Texas artists, even like Willie Nelson kind of like mm-hmm. sort of reinventing himself from almost like the Patsy Cline years into like the Willie Nelson that we know today and stuff. But even seeing, like, Graham Parsons on some of those posters and whatnot. But I guess just simply. Um, so is... So I guess you're saying that underrated is not the right word for it. And then... But when I'm listening to Graham Parsons, I feel like it goes down easy. Like, it's mm-hmm. not... I guess the point I was trying to make was some of these people, they're kind of quirky, so I kind of get that it has to be, you know, like, you know, like Jerry Jeff or Walker yeah. or something like that. Like, I, I kind of get why they're, you know, they're kind of like, you know, I think they're amazing artists, but it's like, you know, they're an acquired taste. But it's like, Graham Parsons is like, pretty like, easy to just like, put on. Yeah, it's just you like, know? how but could not, you not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but not in a way that I feel like, like I was saying with like, Jim Croce or something like that, where it feels like it disappears into the background, you know? Mm-hmm. But like, there's like a substance to it, but it's not like... Like, I even feel like Towns Van Zant has, like, a little bit more, like, quirky character that mm-hmm. sometimes I don't, you know, I'm like, I don't know if I'm in the mood. Yeah. You know, but, like, Graham Parsons is kind of a hard thing to for me to be, like, turn it off. You know? Right. If it's the on, only, it's yeah. going to be on. Yeah. The only time that I, if I don't want to hear it is if I've just been, like, constantly listening to it. I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this for a day. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's never just, like, I've never found any of his music hard to listen to. Or yeah. even, like, an acquired taste. It just seems like the first time you hear it, you're like, this is fucking great. Yeah. And I think, like, the question then for you, like, why do you feel like it's, like, this album? Like, if you have to pick one Graham Parsons record, like, why is it this one to you as opposed to, like, GP or something? Um, I would say it's this one because, well, this is the one I listened to first and it's the one that I usually go to if I'm in the mood to listen to Graham Parsons. I love, I love the one before this too. Streets of Baltimore is one of my favorite songs. Um, but just, I don't know, this one, all the songs just hit for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this one goes down smoother in a way that it's like, it feels like if I ever went to Joshua Tree, I would put this record on. Yeah. Like. And it, it kind of feels like what I assume the desert feels like, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, have you, well, have you been to Joshua Tree? Yeah, I've been a few times. Yeah. 
we shot yeah. a video out there and then just recently I was there for a couple of friends of mine got married in LA so my husband and I drove out to to Palm Springs and went up to Joshua Tree in August it was like 115 degrees or something oh wouldn't yeah. necessarily recommend going at that time of year um, but it's it's one of my favorite places it's just so beautiful yeah and how many uh have you been there like in the fall or is that when you were saying you should go um i think i was there in the spring the first time and it was really nice it was warm but it was mm -hmm. it was the yeah. nice time of year late summer is not not it <laughs> how far from la is joshua tree it was like a three and a half hour drive i think hmm. yeah i've always wanted to go like uh it always feels like the place that you like everyone really anybody probably needs to go there like once in their life more yeah. if you could help it you know yeah so it's just <laughs> so cool and the scenery is gorgeous and the like the little towns out there i really like and i haven't spent a ton of time out there but it was just really felt like a really special place you know yeah yeah like i do you feel like with going there to joshua tree does it kind of live up to like everything you would want it to be or has it become like too much of like a tourist attraction in that regard or how, what's the vibe there? Um, I didn't really see a lot of other people when I was out there. It was just really, yeah, this, the desert, you know, it's a beautiful landscape and yeah, it, it lived up to the hype for me. <laughs> Yeah, good. I mean, that's good to hear. I mean, I feel like now I'm just kind of asking you travel advice, uh, <laughs> you know, because it's like I would it, I feel like it would be kind of a bummer to go there. And then that's like, do you feel like there's like 500 people there like going to it's like going to the beach on like a day. They're like, this is yeah. midday. It should be fine. And you go there and there's like 500 people and you're like, I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, when we went in August, when it was a million degrees outside, I think we saw like one other car. Mm. And we were just like, we didn't really get out of the car too much because it was so hot. And yeah. like to the point where you're like, I could die out here yeah. if I don't like have water with me. Yeah. And okay. So I've, I've actually never, I've been on the West Coast, but even like I went on tour in June. So the last memory I've had of being in LA. And I feel like on almost the whole West Coast, I could still almost like wear like a light jacket the whole time mm -hmm. and that's like so strange to me like that's impossible on the east coast as you know yeah <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> but it was like there so there's a point where like we were going up toward like um like bakersfield i believe it mm -hmm. was near and that was the only time i was like i am an idiot for having long sleeves on but then kind of <laughs> yeah. like as i got kind of past that and we got a little closer to like like actually like northern california it was like no i can just like where is that the heat is different that's what i'm, yeah, saying. I'm the, saying the age-old thing yeah yeah the yeah. california it seems like the climate changes so drastically depending on how far you are from the ocean yeah and so with like that because i feel like a lot of uh you know kind of country artists like decide you know country artists like in the scope of what we're talking about like they have a few places that they seem like they need to live. Like it's like New York is kind of one, but definitely like Nashville. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, California by way of like Joshua tree seems to be like another one. Yeah. You know? 
There's that like, whole have, California country scene, Bakersfield. And... Yeah. Have you ever lived on the West Coast? I have, No, I have not. Yeah. I'm actually going out there soon to play some shows. And I've played out there a few times. I did um, Seattle Pride. I played Seattle quite a few times. Played L.A. this year. Um, yeah, so I've like spent a decent amount of time out there, but I've never lived out there. I was kind of like... Oh, I was kind of living in Nashville for a bit. I was splitting my time between here and Nashville and, you know, doing the doing the writing thing down there. And I recorded my last album down in Nashville. Um, and I really like that city, but I don't know. New York feels like the spot for me right now. Yeah. I wonder, like, like I have, I've had friends that, I had one friend specifically that moved to Nashville to kind of, like, become a session drummer. Mm-hmm. And then it felt like eventually he was just, like, working a job, you know? It's like, yeah. you know, uh, it's it's hard to crack into, is yeah, what. Yeah. Like, was that kind of your feeling, or did you feel like you had enough to keep you going for the time you were there? Or? In Nashville? Yeah. Um, I just, I didn't, I was touring, this was pre-pandemic, so I was touring quite a bit. And the good thing about Nashville is there are so many musicians to work with but it's also easier to tour the states from there as opposed to like getting out of new york you can just go like one of two directions and nashville there's just cities all over the place <laughs> and you, yeah where you go like it's easy to to route a tour from there yeah do you feel so what about living in new york is it just kind of like and maybe it's a multifaceted thing like it's do you feel like it's harder living in new york as like a country artist or um, I don't know. Not, not necessarily. I mean, I've been here so long that I just, I've, I feel like I fit here and I just love this city. It's got everything and got a bunch of friends here and yeah, like I, I don't play here a ton though. You know, like if I'm doing, yeah. if I'm headlining a show in New York, it's going to be like a couple times a year, you know, I'm, yeah. And then I'll play, you know, as an opener or I'll play, you know, side person gigs, just playing piano for somebody. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of opportunity here to, to perform. Yeah, actually, yeah. there was something with listening to your new record. And maybe I'm kind of projecting this some, uh, you know, I guess veering off of Grand Parsons <laughs> more than we already have. Um, I feel like there were elements of it in Limp Wrist where you're kind of like talking about like moving to new york you know mm -hmm. and but I, I don't know if it's so i don't know a way that i guess i'll explain it, there seems to be almost like a uh when i think of like almost like a 70s movie and when somebody kind of like moves from a smaller city into new york like the kind of um i feel like 70s movies all have this like altman kind of thing like someone goes and it's the big lights of like the city like there's like that kind of vibe on yeah limp rest end times like like do you feel, did you go from Iowa like, kind of straight into New York? Is that what your experience was? Yeah, I did. So it was, yeah. you know, it was a bit of a culture shock going from small town, rural Iowa to New York City, the biggest city in the country. Um, and it took me a good amount of time to sort of adjust and figure out how to live here without losing my mind <laughs> yeah yeah because um, it's just it's so big it's so busy and it's so expensive and there's just i mean literally everything here 
Um, so it took took me a while to kind of figure out how to live here, but I feel like I have, and I really I really love it here. You know. Yeah, like I I mean I wish I had like a better reference for it, but there are like parts on Limp Wrist where it almost feels like a it's like a like a Broadway kind of thing at times. Mm-hmm. Like there's like a uh, verbosity is that the like to some of the songs like like on flex i feel like there's like like have you seen the jamie lee curtis movie perfect <laughs> there it's like a movie about like uh uh i guess like it's like jazzercise kind of movie <laughs> yeah you know but i mean there's that's like a, definitely yeah. the vibe for that song yeah and like uh the sequel to saturday night fever staying alive mm-hmm. like there's like yeah. a certain you know those are like the altman thing was probably the more <laughs> apt kind of description yeah. you know, with it like but so did that kind of like have a play in like writing Limpress like that not the movie that you didn't know but like that type of like uh connection in New York I guess like Broadway in a sense like uh, I know I'm not saying the right words really Well the reason I mean this album is just you know about my life and the stories from my life and mm-hmm. the reason we I wanted to include that song Flex is because there are a lot of really kind of heavy heartbreaking topics on here but I also live a pretty joyful life and I have a lot of happiness in my life and that song is just kind of fun and I wanted to to include that and show that like we as queer people can have joy and be joyful and not just complain about how society hates us you know yeah I think it was it was a I mean I like that kind of like that transition on the record with like feeling that because I think it paints exactly what you're saying like it just kind of because there's elements of that kind of story but it kind of puts it in a different lens like there's the other song uh where you're talking about like kind of like dancing with someone and Mm -hmm. then kind of like wishing that you were the person dancing with them but to kind of see a song like flex kind of like it's almost like there are some nights that i get the things that i want yeah exactly (laughs) yeah what it feels like so so i like that kind of and it kind of made me, because I was kind of like listened to Grievous Angel and then I listened to your record. And then it's like, I wanted, I almost like mentally wanted to compare mm-hmm. the idea of like what Graham Parsons sings about and then you, and then the context of like, you know, even thinking back to like, uh, you know, like Lavender Country, who you've, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's like sometimes the, content's the same it's just people are <laughs> close-minded i guess you know? right yeah you know and I it's mean, just like these songs are about the same things right you know? exactly we're all just humans experiencing life and that's the thing about country music is it's just people's stories you know and i think that there's a lot of value in people who in hearing the stories of people who have a different background or a different perspective yeah yeah, it's like thinking about like uh, I, I'm sorry I'm blinking on that that specific song about you know dancing, and then thinking of like uh, you know the oh, Grand catch Parsons. me yeah yeah catch me but then thinking about like you know well it's a Tom T Hall cover but I can't dance you yeah know? <laughs> so you know it's kind of like yeah. the you know just like thinking about it like together with that mm-hmm. uh, so and also just to kind of like feel like something is country music. But also being able to kind of push push it in a way that just authentically is yourself. Because mm-hmm. like we were saying, the kind of, well, we were saying more like uh, 
poverty cosplay, but I feel like there's a certain aspect to really any music, but since we're talking about country rock, um, that it feels like a cosplay kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But by being able to inject like your own personal story into it and give it like a new lens slightly, you know, or your lens, yeah, then I feel like it's like makes it authentic, like we were saying with Greg right. Parsons. Like it's like sometimes I think about it like uh, don't don't let the song play you, play it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't yeah. really mean anything, just, right. <laughs> you know, but it, but it's like, I feel like there's times where like, if you're watching like a solo artist and it's like, I feel like it's like, you can kind of lay back and let, you know, your vocals guide it or something like that. It kind of depends on the context, but it's like, uh, putting a cowboy hat on like a punk song doesn't make it country, <laughs> right. you know? So it's yeah. sort of like. I think what people miss about the idea of making country is just like be your authentic self or believe in the character that you're creating, right, yeah. you know, um, is, is what I compliment your record to be. Like, it feels like so much your authentic self that it's like, I just feel like I put that record, you know, like I reached out specifically to you know, to your label about mm-hmm. talking with you because I just feel like it's so authentic itself that I like your records. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's a really, really nice compliment. I feel like a lot of times country fans will accuse people like me of being inauthentic just because they want to hear stories that are that's the same, like their experience. Mm-hmm. And they think that like, because I have a different experience, I'm not being authentic but that's yeah the opposite of the yeah. truth because if i was just putting on this thing where i'm like a you know a good old boy and love my hometown and you know like it's that's not my experience so i'm not gonna like say some bullshit to try and please you or like <laughs> try to fit into that world you know it's like i'm just gonna yeah. i'm just gonna say what my experience was and is and this is like who I am, take it or leave it, you know? Yeah, I, I I think, like, sometimes I feel like we all kind of do this, I guess. It's like, it's like if I change the context, I'm probably doing the same thing. It's like, it's going to sound so not related, but it's like, you know, when people complained about, like, <laughs> the new Star Wars movies, it's like, it's not exactly how I want it. It's like people kind of want a cover version of yeah. a thing that they like. Right. And then it's like, you think you want that. Right. But it's like it doesn't. That's a very short-sighted thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like, it's like we need more, we need more Paisley Fields, yeah. <laughs> you know. Or if not, then it's like, are, we're just reminding people of the things that we like, and we do like them for a reason. Mm-hmm. We like Graham Parsons, but it's like, you either have to be a good facsimile of it, mm-hmm. and I'll probably like it, or you're still just gonna be like a copy of a copy. Right. You know, and it's like, I feel like even when I think about like when I got into like liking punk music, it's like when I got into like SST records, like one of the cool things was just like, you know, like Black Flag didn't sound anything like Minutemen, or, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like who screwed it didn't sound anything like that. And it's like, I, you know, I, I would assume like you as a songwriter, like when you hear Graham Parsons, it's like it doesn't it doesn't speak to you in a sense that you are writing Graham Parsons. 
right you know, exactly. you're writing you <laughs> it's a hard thing to do you know yeah but I'm, that that's what i hear yeah yeah i've never tried to be like i want to write a song that sounds like this and actually that's not true i did that with um stay away from my man we wanted to write a, a loretta lynn song yeah it's like a it can be a fun exercise um, like yeah. you know it's definitely like if you can land it because and i'm not saying like there are times i feel like it's like i can sit there and try and write whatever type mm-hmm. of music i sound like i know i'm not going to be able to land on it and i feel like i've come to the realization that like that's fine mm-hmm. you know on certain days <laughs> you know but like it's like um it's simply i mean it's kind of like back to the original point it's just like you think you want a thing mm-hmm. but it's like it's not you've already have you already have enough of that you know and mm-hmm. uh I don't I don't know how more to say it, say it that way. It's just I I love when I hear an artist and you know this happens all the time where it's like it feels like it kind of pushes in a new direction or just kind of yeah. reminds you, you know. I think that's that. the the point of art making art making music is you know you want to reflect the what's happening now. You want to be in tune with the current times and by just copying something else you're not going to achieve that you know and i think that's the most exciting and fun thing about making music or making art is doing something completely different you know you start with nothing and then all of a sudden you have this song that just came out of nowhere you know it came out of you so i think it's just a really like songwriting is magic you know yeah yeah and do you feel like uh do you feel like if you play kind of more traditional country shows or whatever that means, I know that's kind of open-ended. Um, how do you feel like that they take you in, in that regard? I mean, I think loaded question. maybe. I think I know what you mean. I, I think I can win an audience over. I've done this long enough and I've played to enough hostile crowds that I know how to kind of work a room and I can see, what's going to work and what's not even before I, before I do it. Like one example of this is I was playing a show and the crowd was there for like, most of the crowd was there for this football game. And I was like, I'm going to win these people over. Like, wow, that's, I'm going to do it. I feel like any, if I see a football game on, I'm like, I lost. Yeah. (laughs) And we, luckily there was a break in the football game, like during my set, but they were like, they weren't there to see me. A lot of those people. And I was like, I'm going to do, neon moon everybody knows the song and they're gonna love it and i'm up there in a red white and blue speedo and chaps and i was able to win them over that's great yeah i feel like anytime i've gone on tour and then i realize i booked it around like uh like march madness you know? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. i'm just like oh i'm fucked like every yeah, night it's just yeah. like because there's a game every night it's like it's like realizing you booked a show like for super bowl night or something oh yeah like, you it's, know and you're like yeah. well that's you know we tried yeah 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 i got lucky in that one that like the game ended and then my set started yeah um i guess like i kind of like brushed over it kind of going back into Graham parsons like just like how big of a figure uh, kind of obviously <clears throat> emmy lou harris like plays on this and kind of talking about being underrated i mm-hmm. feel like for as much i don't feel like uh Graham parsons is like 
considered canon <laughs> in mm. that same way to certain things, but like Emmylou Harris even less. You know. Yeah. Um I mean Emmylou Harris is such a phenomenal artist too. But I do feel like if I'm going to play a Graham Parsons song, like anything from this record, except for maybe Love Hurts, like generally <clears throat> the average audience member is probably not going to know the song unless yeah. they're like a big fan of country music or if they happen to be a fan of Graham Parsons too. Yeah. Yeah. Have you <clears throat> ever, have you ever listened to Trio? Trio? Trio is uh so there's an Emmylou Harris project where it's like Emmylou Harris with Dolly Parton. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. To know him is to love him. I think they did. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just like interesting. Like, uh, just I don't know. I love Emmylou Harris. Let's yeah, me too. Some. Yeah. I would uh, love to. Yeah, and I was kind of mentioning Linda Ronstadt earlier. Just kind of like realizing. Personally, I didn't know. There's a documentary about Linda Ronstadt that talks about like her like Mexican heritage. And I feel like that's not probably obviously because of the time, how she was kind of marketed. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like probably maybe because of her name. It's just like, she was kind of marketed as like another white woman country singer. And just to kind of realize so much richness is there Mm -hmm. that you weren't kind of given at the time. Right. Yeah. It's so controlled. The narrative is so controlled. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I'm speaking to the listener. Like, I would recommend that documentary just to kind of like see where she's gone and kind of like where she is now with like vocal issues uh, that she's kind of having with her voice. But you know, like how kind of I just like the word underrated here, and it's not really because Linda Ronstadt is huge, but it's like mm-hmm. how much of an authentic voice she is that she kind of deserves more credit. Yeah. For definitely. as an artist than <clears throat> kind of like someone who covered warren zevon or something right <laughs> you know um it's like same kind of conversation of like taking someone's song and just like making it 100 percent yours because mm-hmm. you know uh but yeah sorry i'll sh- kind of shift gears here we can kind of promote the record more cool. um i know yeah. we jump around a lot uh we're getting to like 55 minutes yeah, let me uh, just grab a water real quick no problem I also think I, I woke up this morning with like a slight cold, and so it's like I feel like it's like affecting my breathing. <clears> and <throat> I'll like just kind of gulp for a second, and I'm like, ugh. Yeah, I was <laughs> noticing like my voice when I was singing yesterday. I'm like, ugh, I'm feeling a little thin here. Yeah, yeah. It was like uh, I think I was on like the second song for my set last night, and it was like it started going. Like, oh no, we're doing <laughs> yeah. that set tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, well, I guess we're doing the gravelly singing uh, thing. It's <laughs> a good vibe. Uh, yeah. So actually, uh, one of my favorite songs on that record is A Thousand Dollar Wedding. Because there's yeah. just enough mystery to it that it really makes you curious, you know, like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. And it's just so well done, and it's heartbreaking, and it's beautiful, and that's I think one of the the best songs, and he, that's one that he wrote too. And yeah. I also love "In My Hour of Darkness." I think it's just such a touching tribute and a beautiful song. It looks like he, uh, he and Emmylou wrote that together. 
Yeah, yeah, I saw that they were like actually like both specifically credited credited on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's you know because I feel like at the top I almost like uh, I hope it didn't sound like I kind of discredited him as a songwriter. Yeah, you know, uh, but you, I think it's such an interesting thing to kind of be able to be sort of a performer mm-hmm. and such a strong yeah, songwriter yeah. because it's like. I've mentioned this on so many episodes, but you'll see that thing going around like social media where it'll be like, Freddie Mercury did this, but Beyonce had all these writers. And it's like, it's like the correlation is not really the same. Or like when people try and talk about like pop artists being like, oh, you know, they don't write their own songs, but it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but you can't perform like Madonna in her heyday. You know, like maybe this person didn't write their own song, but it's like, you know, so it's, you know, it's not really like a correlation there, but also mm-hmm. Graham Parsons can write a fucking song. Yeah, he yeah. can. He really can. And like yeah. the the first track, Return of the Grievous Angel, is just it's phenomenal, you know? Oh, I think those lyrics were taken from a poem. Hmm. I read that somewhere. I don't I can't remember who the poet is. Song depicts okay. Oh, okay. Alright. So poet Tom Brown. Ah, I was right. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Um, So Tom Brown is the poet. Um, So that's interesting. So the song depicts the experiences of the character during a road travel across the United States, you know, as as most songs do. Um, But, yeah, that's interesting to kind of, like, use, uh, you know, the poet for that. So who gave him the composition? So Parsons was inspired to write a song by Boston poet Tom S. Brown, who gave him his composition entitled... Return of the Grievous Angel. So I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know anything about this, but to have it so directly to like write a song about this, essentially, I guess is the exchange is, uh, so recurrent in Parsons compositions, the themes of the song include instances of wandering, you know, as we know. So, uh, the sweet Annie Rich, uh, I don't know. It's just interesting to kind of think of like a poet being like, please include this if you must, you know, uh, which I feel like you hear sometimes with like, especially in this era, there were those kind of acts uh, like Jefferson Airplane or, you know, Grateful Dead, where they had like almost these people that were employed to like write lyrics for them. And so it kind of like puts it in kind of that context, but he's still clearly like a songwriter. You know? Yeah. Ben Folds yeah. did that recently with, or I guess it wasn't that recently, but it was, uh, I forget who the writer is. But like a writer gave him all the lyrics and then he put music to it. And it's one of the most incredible albums. I can't, I can't remember the name right now, but I'll think of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess like, okay. So with this record, like it's not that long of a record. I mean, 36 minutes, especially for this like era of <laughs> albums. Um, you know, if you had to cut one song from this record, what would it be? Um... Yeah. I'd say probably one of the live ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, kind of going the medley live from northern Quebec. Uh, so the kind of taking the two Leuven Brothers songs. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe cutting the first Leuven Brothers song. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a strange kind of no, thing. Yeah. Almost feels like we got to fill this up, so put these two live recordings on there. <laughs> I guess it's exactly why they did it, because it's like... Then if you take those songs off, you probably are cutting about 36 minutes. So it's like, yeah. oh, we can't have this record only be 30 minutes long. 
Mm-hmm. But it is a strange part for the record to kind of like shift into like, hearing. Thank kinda... you, thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah. Talking to the but crowd. I also f- feel like it wasn't uncommon right. around this time to yeah. kind of have a live track on an album. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's cool. It kind of like takes you into the whole world more, you know? Because it's yeah. not just like a studio not just people in the studio it's like oh they're playing in the world to people yeah yeah and so i guess like looking at like the influence like how do you feel like or do you feel like this record influences how you write your own songs in any way i would say yeah it does i i just love the storytelling on here and the melodies and it's just even if it's subconsciously influencing me at this point, because I've listened to it so much, it feels like it's, Mm -hmm. it's in my head, you know? Yeah. 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 I like that feeling when I feel like something's in my head, but it's like when it kind of filters back through you, Mm -hmm. it's like, I've had times where it's like, Oh, I think I'm, uh, I don't know why I'm thinking of this band specifically, but it's like, that might be a Melvin song, yeah. you know, but then I'm like, when I put it through like standard tuning in my voice, it's just like, it's, it's nothing like it. But in the back of my head, I'm like, I think I might have ripped that off, <laughs> but it's like, you don't like tell your bandmates or whoever you're playing with. And then it just becomes like this completely different thing. And I yeah. think that's like the beauty of it, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like having these things filter out in a way that's yeah. like, well, the, in the end result, that's nothing like that. Right. But you just kind of hear those melodies, you know? Yeah, like, it's inspiration, like, um, you know? Yeah, I'm like, how many songs have I written that are actually probably, like, because I was, like, 10 years old listening to REO Speedwagon too much, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, how many yeah. song structures are actually, like, that kind of, like, AM radio thing Yeah. that, you know, uh, those, like, compilation commercials that would come on and, you know, be, like, snippets of that type of music i'm like that might be my biggest influence you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like kind of hearing like your parents kind of like passively listen to things yeah yeah because it just you absorb it absorb it you know yeah and so with you being because i mean you've played with other like you were saying you played with other artists as a uh you know like on keys um so what's your experience i guess your history of like playing piano and whatnot like I guess you took lessons as a... Yeah, I started started playing piano when I was 12 years old, and I I picked it up pretty quickly. It just felt really natural, and my first job was playing piano at church. So when I was, you know, like 14, 15 years old, I think I started playing in the church, and I studied classical music, and just always was always playing you know i just love i love playing piano i would just sit in a room and play by myself for hours you know yeah and would you like if you're thinking about piano like do you feel like it's like your primary instrument like if you had to pick one yeah definitely yeah and um so what type was church like a big part of your you know you your upbringing yeah it was um i grew up very catholic um okay my parents are pretty strict Catholics. We went to church every Sunday and I thought if I'm going to be going to church, I might as well be getting paid for it and playing the piano at the same time. <laughs> like it's no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. The churches, the church I went to growing up, they would have, I feel like they would have never paid uh, people. So I'm always like, 
It's like I know it to happen a bunch. Like I have people that I know that still like play in churches. Yeah. You know, and they're not like religious people, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the the kind of thought of being able to be paid for it. Because I feel like, too, it's like and uh, it's probably because of like what I was raised in, like Pentecostalism. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't I think it's like it's your service yeah to, yeah to pay and i know that's still the intent with it but you know it's like the work you're putting in you know, right you yeah. should be paid uh so with playing piano do you feel like that informs your songwriting in a way that would be different than like writing songs on guitar or like well i do write some songs on guitar mm-hmm. i i think for this record, I think every song was written on piano. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it for my newest record, but I've, I've definitely written songs on guitar and it's a much different process. Um, it's a good way for me to sort of, if I'm feeling in a rut to break out and do something that's completely different. Cause I can't really, can't really play guitar very well, but I know enough to, to write, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and it's just like, it's such a different approach. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times, I mean, if you say I can't, I bet when you say I can't play guitar that well, um, what I'm about to say, like, I really can't play guitar that well. Like, <laughs> I, just, I just like I'm primarily a bass player. Um, and a lot of times when I pick up guitar to write a song, it's kind of like, am I going in the right direction? Kind of mm-hmm. like to, to fill it out, you know, because it's like I write most of my songs on bass, like, and I don't think that's like super common, uh, but it's just you do yeah. what you know yeah. and uh so eventually you know sometimes i feel like i'm i bring in guitar to just be like what would this kind of feel like mm-hmm. <laughs> if i flesh it out a little bit more but the chops no yeah <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know same. with that so so yeah kind of feeling that but i'm trying to explain something properly because it almost it hopefully it doesn't sound condescending i feel like there's a uh sometimes with piano led music let's say country in this aspect like sometimes it can be very piano and i'm like (laughs) it like kind of is distracting sometimes Mm -hmm. and what i'm also saying is your record doesn't feel that way and i know that's like a personal thing but when sometimes when i'm listening to um you know a lot of 70s country if it's very you know piano centric i'm just like i can't i don't know if i can (laughs) this is too much there's why are there 45 chords in this song like, that's that's kind of the yeah, thing it's like just everything's like and, bum, 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 yeah. you know and then it's like it's like it's just dancing around way too much yeah yeah on that kind of i thing. always try to like reel it in be like okay you don't need to have three key changes you don't need to play like every chord on the piano yeah that's i mean that's like such a hard thing even with like comparing it to grand parsons like to when i listen to this record like there's a lot of things that are on it you know, uh, voice and whatnot, but it's like just to kind of like feel so simple in like the best way. Like mm-hmm. when I'm writing a song, I, I try and like not add a bunch of stuff, but then by the time where it's like, then it's just very loud rock band, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's like to get something to break something down to this element that like Grievous Angel is, mm-hmm. um, is I, I, I feel like that's my lifelong journey mm-hmm. that I don't think I'll ever even come close to. Yeah, yeah. it's tough to write a, a simple, effective song, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, uh, one one person that I'm thinking of, like, I was recently listening to, like, Long John Baldry. Have you ever heard him? 
what's funny is like he he was like a big good friend of like Elton John at the time and he was uh he was like one of the few actually I think he kind of helped Elton John kind of come out. Oh wow. It was like a big part of his thing, but also I mean that's a very, that's an interesting part of his journey there. Mm-hmm. But also later in life he became the voice on Sonic the Hedgehog's like as Dr. Robotnik. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, so this this artist that I feel like is like often sometimes associated in the back like a footnote for Elton John. Yeah. You know, unfortunately in right. a way. Um but that's also <laughs> Just a little trivia for the listener. Um, I would recommend listening to Long John Baldry. You know, kind of piano, kind of lead things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really going anywhere with that. <laughs> uh, but just, yeah, it's just that kind of element of, like, all the key changes. and Because I, I feel that way sometimes with writing songs on bass because it's, like, the nature of it. I feel like I can just shift into a key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like when I bring it to a guitarist, it's like, well, you know, guitarist fingers don't really operate that way with right. the chords in the same sense. Yeah. Um, you know, and so you're just kind of like my hands over here. It's a key change, you know, yeah. uh, which, you know, I, maybe a very good guitar player would be like, well, it's the same way on guitar, but it's not that way for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the uh, other cool thing about, I actually just wrote with a friend and he was playing bass and the cool thing about that is you you just have the one note, you know, so you can put whatever chord you want on top of it. It could be major, yeah. minor, seventh, whatever. So it's it leaves a lot of openness, which I think is really cool when you're when you're writing the song. And you almost have to surrender in that sense. I think piano probably is can be that way in a different sense, but kinda of the same thing. Where I feel like if I'm writing a song on bass, then I kinda of have to surrender to what other people would do because mm-hmm. i feel like the stipulation with guitar is everyone kind of sets around the guitar and then so it's like this might end up differently than it feels in my head and i just have to surrender myself to that when i add these other people in you know yeah yeah um, but i guess i'm also talking about playing well with others right <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, but it's such an interesting thing to kind of like think of a song a certain way and then when you add people you're like that's not what i thought but i don't hate it yeah you know? yeah gross yeah. Yeah, do you feel like you had any of those moments like with recording uh, Limp Wrist where like something kind of like changed the intention in a um, good way? Yeah, I think, I mean, working with Andrea who produced this was just such a great experience. He's such an incredible producer and he really like understood the music and where I wanted to go sonically. Um, so this was kind of the first time where I felt like this was how it sounded in my head and now like we we got that oh wow you know yeah um so that was that was a really it was recording this is one of my favorite things i've done in my career so i guess in comparison to like you know electric park ballroom like Mm -hmm. how do you feel like with like a little bit of distance uh you know i feel (laughs) With that coming out in 2020, I'm like, I know it's two years, but I'm like, those years don't really count anymore. <laughs> so I'm like, like that's a quick turnaround, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I yeah. had written that one quite a while before we actually released it. Um, and the same with this. I Like, all these songs, I was just at home by myself, um, like a lot of us were. Yeah. And I just wanted to to tell my story, like... And just be really 
really real and not and not, there's there's nothing wrong with writing songs from a character's perspective or from mm-hmm. you know whatever it may be but this I was like I want all these songs to be the truth about my life and they're pretty specific but all of them are just like I, like they're it's an autobiographical document yeah. you know yeah I feel like sometimes personally when I'm writing a song in a character I feel like I potentially am doing it because I'm not willing to be honest with the thing that I actually wanted to talk about. Yeah. And I know that's not always the case. Like there's so many good story songs that put you in the, mm-hmm. in the character. But I think about that though, with thinking about uh, just that situation, like, you know, did you feel that with like your previous record, like potentially the character allowed? Yeah. Kind I of, think like just you know? maybe being a little afraid to open up or even confront some of those things that were really painful and you know hard to deal with and this time i was just like i'm gonna i'm gonna put it all out there like and just really like confront everything and that's what i did (laughs) and i was able to work with um some co-writers who i like really really trust as people as friends and not be scared to open up to them and it was a really um enriching i guess is the word experience to write with them from this really pretty vulnerable place you know yeah i feel like that vulnerability definitely like shines through i feel like there's like an interesting thing like whenever you're kind of thinking of a song and then you kind of go for i don't know um sometimes when i'm writing a song i feel like it's like i might go more kind of general on the chorus you got the hook and mm-hmm. everything and then if you put that just that the one little thing and then it just becomes uniquely you but also that kind of uniqueness kind of then also feels like universal in a way like it's like i felt this feeling even though i haven't been in this situation yeah yeah that's the thing that's kind of strange about songwriting is i think in a way if you're more specific about your own experience and people even though they didn't have that experience it's somehow more relatable just because it's more real i guess you know or like people can envision it and feel that feeling like i mentioned earlier but with catch me i feel like it's like when i'm listening to it it's like i don't know i'm a cis straight dude Mm -hmm. and uh but it's like you can socially feel yourself in that situation where it's like (laughs) as simple as like Oh, I wish I had kind of the courage to like just go over there and talk to this person yeah. right now. You know, like I know that's not even the situation of the song, but it's like, oh, I've I've kind of I can at least put on a tiny bit like I can't begin to feel that situation. Right. You know. But I but think I can yeah, yeah, that anxiety. At its you know? core, I think it's something that everybody has experienced where you have maybe a feeling of envy or you're, you know, you've been to a dance and you're like, I wish that was me. Like, I wish I could be that confident or that, um, like free to just not, not feel like I need to hide a part of myself or, you know, I don't think it's just specific to my experience. I think most people can, can relate to at least that, that feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
And well, how do you feel like, what are your plans kind of long-term, like, I guess, going to promote this record, like, you know, tours and things coming up in the yeah, time I'm, frame? I'm touring in the next few weeks and then I'll be doing a big tour again in the spring and probably just like a few flyout dates here and there, but I'm, I'm planning to, to just tour it a lot. And I really hope people will give it a chance because I really feel like people can connect with these songs and I want to just do everything I can to, to get them to the people who need to hear them. Yeah. Yeah. And before I let you go, I, so you did the song with Lavender Country and um, like, how do you feel like working with Lavender Country on that and kind of like, like, how does Lavender Country influence like your experience, you know, as a writer or, you know, your connection to them, I guess, you know, they, so Patrick is a, a good friend and he's really been, uh, you know, a bit of a mentor to me too. And just having made such a, a groundbreaking record about being a queer person at that time, just so the songs are just so fearless. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really inspiring to me. And that, I think hearing that album is like, he's not embarrassed to say this, yeah. you know, like why, why should I be embarrassed? You know, it's yeah. empowering. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can only imagine like, you know, it's like even think about like lavender country or like, you know, like kinky Friedman and things like, it's just, yeah. Just like those people that kind of like paved the way just so that I guess in a sense, like it's like you can write a song, like, you know, I keep mentioning catch me. It's like, you know, it's like by these people that were fearless in a time that was not open-minded to it and essentially like yeah yeah, and like you know people like lavender country i feel like it's like it almost felt like maybe i don't know a crazy amount of like the story with it but in my perspective it's almost like you know lavender lavender country that album came out and like people obviously weren't like really ready for it yeah no and so you know just almost like for however many years from like what like 1974 or what every year it came out it's kind of forgotten depending on like who you know yeah. you know so talking about underrated it's yeah, like yeah Grant Parsons. Exactly. it's like and that fearlessness like allows for just kind of now to be able to like kind of tell things it allows kind of things to be easier these people mm-hmm. that kind of pave the way i know i'm just saying like the most basic thing but it's just it's so radical to think of uh, now someone like Lavender Country doing something in 1974 where personally I feel like I would be like scared shitless to <laughs> do that in 2020. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for it's, real. Yeah, what I mean. Like it's like, it's like, you know, it, it paves the way I guess just to kind of almost like be able to write a song from more of a somewhat traditional relationship status because of people like, you know, like Patrick, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Is, is is my perception of it, you know. Yeah. So, but I mean, sorry, I can pick it back up. Uh, and I guess I what I was saying there is like I wasn't sure how I think in my head of what I heard it as is I thought that. So, do you play with Lavender Country Annie, or was that the kind of connection on that song, or like? Yeah, I do. I'll I'll play in their touring band sometimes that's we what did i did okay. together yeah and i recorded on the um the blackberry rose album i did some 
some piano parts on that. So before I truly let you go, like if there's anything else you wanted to add, you know, about Graham Parsons or even just simply like where people can find you online. Yeah, I mean, this album was such a big inspiration for me as far as finding my music. We put out three videos for this record that I think are really great. I'd love for anybody to, if you're interested, go watch those on the Don Giovanni YouTube page. Um, my website's paisleyfields.com. I'm on Instagram as Paisley James Fields, Twitter Paisley Fields. <laughs> Pretty much Google Paisley Fields, you'll find me. Yeah, and I know I said it a bunch. Like I really love the album. Like it's a standout from this year, and you know something that I've been sending to many friends. You know, song by song, and you know it's like I'm someone that's at an age where I'm jaded by most things. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know so yeah. so yeah but i appreciate you taking the time and uh it was a pleasure to talk yeah it was really nice talking to you too welcome back thanks again to paisley for coming on the pod it was a genuine pleasure so please check out the new album limp wrist out now on john giovanni records okay Next time, we're talking with Cody Vadalato of J.R. Slayer and previously of Blood Brothers. We talked about the killers, so more on that next week. Once again, don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode with my Patreon co-host Sarah and I every week. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at spinningoutpod. Please rate, view, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment. Leave some little stars on Spotify. And re just reviews in general definitely help. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week. <laughs>